1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, I'm so grateful for who you are and for how you do the things that you do. I'm so grateful that you did send your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a perfectly righteous life and to die a horrible death on the cross, to be buried in the ground, but to be raised again from the dead on the third day, to ascend to your right hand where he sits both now and where he will sit forevermore as the ruler of the kings of the nations. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you have done to ransom people for yourself. I'm so grateful for what you have done to bring about this thing that we call the church. I'm so grateful for your promise that says, I will build my church. I'm grateful, Lord, that you are our Father in Jesus Christ and that we are your children and that as the church, we are your people. As Mike said earlier, we're not just a a corporate gathering here, Father. We are the family of God gathered together around your great name. So thank you, Father. Thank you for what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as I preach this morning, that you would speak through your word. I pray that as I preach, that you would stir in your people by your spirit and for what you will do and for how you will build your church. I give you my thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing this morning in our series called Growing Up Into Christ. I take the name of the series from Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul uses this phrase, And the point of the series is for us to renew our vision of what the church is. The point of the series is for us to help remember what the church is in God's sight. It's to help us to see what God sees when he sees the church so that we will be about the things that God is about in the life of the church. That's how we bear fruit. We bear fruit in life by aligning our lives with God's purposes. That's how it happens. And so that's the point of the series. I began by meditating with you on Ephesians 4 and just trying to do my best to lay out the vision of the church that is there. And then we look for two weeks at 
the place of the word in the life of the church. And we tried to receive Paul's admonition to us in Colossians 3 to be rich in the word of Christ. And then we looked at Jesus' admonition to us in John 15 that we would abide in him and his words would abide in us. And then on the basis of his words, we would call upon his name and in this way bear much fruit. And I have been so encouraged, beloved, as I've heard feedback from so many of you about how those messages affected you and how you have grown in your richness in the word, I'm so encouraged. And I just want to fan your passion for God's word into flame and just say, keep going in that direction. Let's be a church that's rich in the word, constant in prayer, and fruitful in the kingdom of God. I don't know what else God will make us to be as the years go by. I don't know exactly what the church will look like. I don't know all that God will cause us to accomplish and all those things. But what I know is that at the heart of his heart for us is that we would be that kind of people. Rich in the word, constant in prayer, fruitful in the kingdom. So let's pursue that. Last week we turned our attention to the issue of leadership because Paul raises this issue in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And there he shows us the importance of God-ordained leadership for the health and growth of any true church. As it is with the family, so it is with the church. God has a will for the structure, the leadership, and the functioning of the family, and he has a will for the structure, the leadership, and the functioning of the church. And as we come in line with what God sees when he sees the church, as we come in line with God's will for the church, we begin to fulfill his purposes for us and bear the fruit that he has called us to bear. This is how it works. We align our families, and when we align our church family with the plans and purposes and promises of God, things begin to happen. And one thing God has purposed for us is that the leadership of the church be built in a particular way. So last week, I spent some time laying out a vision of, of biblical eldership. Our numbers were very low last week for some good reasons, but I do want to encourage you, if you were not here, please go online and listen to that message. It's not that I have a desire to toot my own horn, it's just that that message is very important in regard to what God is doing in this season of the life of our church, so please go listen to that message. There I laid out a basic vision of biblical eldership. Today I want to build on that vision by considering with you Peter's words to elders, which he spoke in the hearing of the entire church. Now we are familiar with Peter as an apostle. Probably if I was to ask you what was Peter in the life of the church, probably the word apostle is the first thing that would come out of your mouth. But I wonder if you've ever taken the time to just, just think about for a minute and let sink in the fact that from day to day to day, Peter actually functioned more as just an elder of a local church than he did as an apostle. He was always an apostle. I'm just saying that day by day by day, for the majority of life, Peter was one of the key elders of the church of Jerusalem, and he may have been an elder of a church elsewhere. We don't really know what happened in Peter's latter life. But what I do know is that he was both an apostle and an elder, and that gave him a very unique vantage point from which to speak to his fellow elders. And notice that in 1 Peter 5.1, he calls us fellow elders. To me, as a guy, both vocationally and non-vocationally, I've had the privilege of serving as an elder for 25 years. It blows my mind to hear the apostle Peter calling a guy like me a fellow elder. That's amazing. But then again, when I think about it, this just means that Peter at the end of the day was just a man like every other man and he uh, endured the fires of what it means to elder in a particular local church. 
He spoke with the authority of the apostle, of an apostle, and he spoke with the practical wisdom of a man who had served for the majority of his life as a pastor or one of the pastors of a local church. So what I want to do this morning is I want to actually back up and talk with you about Peter's journey toward eldership. And the reason I want to do this is because especially for those of you who might be feeling God's tug on your heart to rise up into the office of elder, I want to help you understand that nobody serves in this office who is perfect, but only men serve in this office who are profoundly flawed. Peter's journey toward the eldership was very unlikely. If you were to have picked him out of a crowd, or have to pick an elder out of a crowd, you probably would not have picked him, but God picked him. In himself, Peter was insufficient. God made him sufficient. In himself, Peter was not qualified. God qualified him. And I just want to send a message to you right from the beginning of this message. Oh, you men who feel the tug toward eldership, if you feel inadequate, you're in a good place. You ought to feel inadequate. If you don't feel inadequate, I'm not sure you're thinking well about what it means to be an elder. But I want to tell you, God only calls inadequate men, and then he makes them adequate. That's why I want to take a little bit of time and rehearse some of the story of Peter's life. So let's begin in the upper room. While Jesus was marching toward the cross, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room of a house in Jerusalem, and there he taught them many things. But he began by saying, listen, the time has come for me to go. And where I'm going, you can't come with me. You've been following me three to four years. Everywhere I've gone, you've gone. Everything I've suffered, you've suffered. Just about every person I've healed, you've been a witness to it. Every person I've taught, you've overheard it. You've been walking with me and talking with me for a long time, but now the time has come for me to go and you will not be able to come with me. In my absence, here's what I want you to do. Love one another. In the way that I have loved you, love one another. They didn't really understand what Jesus meant quite yet, but that's what he wanted them to do. This statement perplexed all of the apostles, all of the disciples that were in that room. But I think it hurt Peter probably a little bit more than the others because I do think Peter had a deep and genuine love for Jesus. And Peter wanted to be wherever Jesus was. So he said to him, Lord, I don't get this. Why can't I go where you're going? I will endure anything for the sake of your name. I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you, Lord Jesus. I really think Peter meant that. But Jesus is wise. He sees beyond our words. He sees beyond our passions. He sees into the depths of our hearts. He knows what's been. He knows what's coming. And so he said to Peter, Peter, will you, really, will you lay down your life for me? Dramatic pause. Truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster even crows this very day, you're going to deny that you even know me. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter wanted to lay down his life for Jesus, but Jesus was essentially saying to him, Peter, before you can do that, I have to lay down my life for you. I have to do something for you before you can live your life for me. He did not understand, but I do think that's what Jesus was saying. So he finished teaching all that he had to teach that night. He prayed an amazing prayer, which is in, at least in part preserved for us in John 17, which I think is one of the most astounding chapters in the whole Bible. And then after that, Jesus marched toward Jerusalem, 
and he engaged in the most stunning act of obedience that anyone has ever seen in heaven or on earth. Jesus subjected himself to betrayal by a close friend. And don't think that that wasn't painful for him. It was. Jesus subjected himself to an unjust trial at the hands of the people he had formed, the Jewish people. He came to his own, and they did not receive him. They arrested him. Jesus willingly subjected himself to an unjust verdict, to an unjust sentence. And then he willingly subjected himself to unjust public shame as they pulled out his beard and put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him with their words. He subjected himself to an unjust torture through flogging and punching and other things. And ultimately, he subjected himself to death on a cross, the death that is deserved by thieves, the death that is deserved by criminals, the death that is deserved by evil ones, the one who had no sin died as if he had radically sinned. Jesus did this, beloved, in obedience to his Father. God had called him to do this. Jesus willingly embraced his calling and was obedient to the Father all the way to death on a cross. Having loved his own, John says in chapter 13, verse 1 of the Gospel of John, Jesus loved his own all the way to the end. He means all the way to death on the cross that day. Jesus displayed a perfected love for his people a love that they would really need. Now, as for Peter, along the way, he sought to demonstrate his love for Jesus, and I think that his his attempts were sincere. I think he really did love Christ, and he wanted to show that. But the bottom line is that courage that's born of the flesh will only take you so far. And when Peter was faced with the reality that attaching himself to Jesus was going to literally put his life at risk, he shrank back. You know that in the Jewish culture, the number three is very important. In their language, in the Hebrew language, they didn't have the words high, higher, and highest, strong, stronger, and strongest. The way that they did that is by doubling and tripling up words. So to be holy is to be holy, to be holier is holy, holy, to be holyist is to be holy, holy, holy. Things brought to the third power in in the Hebrew culture are meaningful. Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And the last time he used curses, which I don't think that necessarily means he was cussing. I think it means he was calling curses on his head. Can you imagine that? This man who had just hours earlier said, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus, is now bringing curses on himself and saying, I don't even know this guy. This was the frailty of the man God had called. As soon as he denied Jesus that third time, The cock crowed, the rooster crowed. And I imagine that in Peter's soul, the echo of that rooster crowing was haunting to him. I can't imagine what that would have felt like to him. I think if I was in his shoes, it would have felt like a judge's gavel slamming onto the bench saying, you're guilty, guilty, guilty. And everything Jesus said of you is now true. And so Peter fled, Peter fled. He failed profoundly and he fled. But praise be to God, Repeated failure was not the final note in the symphony of Peter's life. God had more to do with him. He was an inadequate man. He was not qualified 
to live his life exalting the glory of God for the good of the people and the earth. He was a broken man. He was a self-centered man. He had desires at one level, but ultimately his greater desire was self-protection, and now this was clear. But God wasn't done working with Peter. And brothers, if some of you are feeling the tug on your heart to come up into eldership, and you don't feel like you're adequate, you don't feel like you're quite there yet, maybe you are there, maybe you're not there, but what I, one thing I want to tell you is that if God is calling you, he's not done working with you. He's going to perfect your faith. He's going to perfect your love until the day that you are ready. On the third day after Jesus was put in the ground, he came back up out of death because he doesn't take kindly to graves. He is the Lord of life. He says in Revelation, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And this Jesus that rose again from the dead sought out his disciples, repeatedly appeared to them. And specifically on one of those occasions, he took Peter aside. Can you imagine that? Peter betrays him three times or denies him three times. Jesus calls him out very personally. Peter, come here. I need to talk with you. Don't have time to go into the details of the discussion, but you probably remember three times the Lord asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the third time he said it earnestly, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know this. Every time Jesus replied with these words, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He's calling Peter into the ministry. Tend my lambs, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Graze and nourish the little ones that I have just bought with my blood. Guard them, guide them, govern them. Lay down your life, Peter, not only for me, but for the flock that I have just bought for the glory of my name through the suffering that the Father called me to endure. Rise up, Peter. Don't just be an apostle. Be a shepherd of the church of God. This is what I want you to do. Jesus wasn't done working in Peter's life, beloved. Even in the midst of the lingering guilt and shame over his failure, Jesus is issuing a call into his life. And then he says this to him. He says, Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to walk. You did whatever you wanted to do. You're a self-guided, self-governing man. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Peter had lived his life, as many of us do, in a self-directed fashion. What he wanted to do, that he did. Even for God. If I got a mind to do something for God, I'm just going to do that thing for God. As though God needs me to do anything for him. Peter was, like most, maybe all of us, a self-directed man. But Jesus was casting a vision to say, Peter, here's the work I'm going to do in your life. I am going to teach you the joy of loving submission to your God and Savior until the day comes when you will lay down your life, not unwillingly, but willingly, even though you're going to be called to die in a way that you don't want to die. From what we know from church history, what this means is that they wanted to crucify Peter. They wanted to put him to death by crucifixion, and he did not feel worthy to be killed in a way that his Lord was killed, and so they just hung him upside down. But whether or not that's an accurate story or not, the more important thing for us to understand is that God was helping Peter learn what it meant to walk with him, to live in submission to him. And when God called and said, Peter, you, I am calling you to be a shepherd in my house, Peter said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We know from the book of Acts 
and from some things that are said in the other epistles that Peter was not perfectly submissive throughout his life. What man is perfectly submissive? But what I'm trying to help us understand is that this heart was born inside of Peter because of the work of God in him. This pattern of life was born in him. God called and said, Peter, come and feed my sheep. Come and tend my lambs. Guard, guide, govern my people. And Peter just said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. A few days after this, Jesus is gathered with his people on Mount Olivet, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And there they physically see him be taken from the earth into heaven. And they're perplexed. They're amazed by what they saw. The angel of the Lord helped them to understand, to sort of process what they had just seen. And so they went from that place into Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus' word. They gathered in yet another upper room and they prayed together for 10 days. 120 people gathered in a room, praying together, praying together, waiting upon the promise of God. On the 10th day, the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfilled his promise by sending his Holy Spirit upon his people. And when the Spirit of God came upon his people, a number of things happened. But one thing that happened was that Peter gained the power to fulfill the calling that God had put upon his life. Peter could not do what God called him to do in his own power, but now God gave him the power. You'll remember that when the Spirit descended on his people, the people of God began to speak in languages that were not their own. This was a strange thing. Even to them, I'm sure it was strange, but surely the Jews that were hearing were just utterly perplexed. What in the world could this be? We're all hearing the message proclaimed in our own dialect. Not just our own language, but in our own dialect, in our own specific way of talking. It was Peter that rose up to preach a most powerful message that helped to interpret the phenomenon that they were all seeing. And along the way, he so clearly preached the gospel to these people that 3,000 of them, plus just men, plus women and children, came to faith in Christ that day, and the church of Jerusalem was born. You went from a handful in an upper room to a megachurch like that, not by the flesh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter had been taken to the top, essentially, by the Lord himself. Peter had become the most prominent voice in the church, not by his own adequacy, but by the calling of God and now the empowering of God upon his life. Jesus had now demonstrated the fullness of his love and given the fullness of his power so that Peter could do the things that Peter was called to do. Peter ministered not in himself and not from himself. Peter ministered because the call of God was upon his life, the love of God was upon his life, and the power of God was upon his life. And brothers, I want to say to you again, if some of you feel called up into ministry, don't put your eyes upon yourself. I'm not saying that necessarily there's a bunch of you that are going to be called into vocational ministry where you quit your jobs and, and, and start working full-time for the church, but if you're being called to serve as an elder of this church, don't think so much about yourself. Think about your God. If he's calling you, he will empower you. He will not only make you qualified in character, he will give you the power that you need to do what he's called you to do, even if it means that at some point you have to take up a cross. Beloved, we just can't miss the fact that it was Peter that God called to serve in this way on that particular day. This is the one who denied Christ three times. This is the one who fled 
for fear of his own life. This is the one who told Jesus he loved him. He loved him. He loved him without much proof of the fact. But this is how God works. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call those who are sufficient in themselves. He calls them, them who, who, who need to be made sufficient in God. And boy, was Peter ever made sufficient in God. From this time forward, with all his flaws, he served the flock of God. And at one point in the future, Paul even called him a pillar of the church in Jerusalem, along with James and John. But what I want us to understand today is that whatever Peter was then, and whatever Peter is today, and whatever Peter will be in eternity, and I do believe he'll still be an apostle in eternity, he was made that by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the love of God alone. This was not about him this was about God. When God puts his call upon a person for whatever role, God will make sure to outfit that person for that role. In accordance with Jesus' calling on his life then, Peter did serve as an apostle, but he also rose up to be a pastor of a local church and maybe more than one local church. He learned to obey Jesus' commandment to love others in the way Jesus had loved him. In other words, he learned to lay down his life not only for Jesus, but for Jesus' people. And now he had the power to do that because Jesus had laid down his life for Peter and Jesus had given Peter the Holy Spirit and all the power that he needed. Then years and years and years into his ministry, when he was now a fairly old man, God moved him to write a letter and then a second letter. But in his first letter, he wrote a few words to the elders of the churches. And I want you to know, first of all, he is writing to elders, plural, of churches, plural. But he's also doing this in a way that it's, out there in front of the entire church. Peter wrote 1 Peter to the churches scattered throughout the world in his day. Come along chapter 5, he decides to speak a word to elders, but he's speaking that word to those elders, not in a private conference, but in a very public way. He wants these things to be known and embraced by the whole church. So after laying a great foundation of the gospel and of what it means to live in Christ and suffer with Christ, Peter says this in chapter 5. Let's just read again verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders or pastors among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, which doesn't necessarily mean younger in age, but also in maturity, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, whether you're an elder, whether you're a younger, no matter what you are, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. You'll see in verse one that Peter issued the, his directive to elders on three bases, and I just wanna quickly cover them. First of all, as I've already mentioned several times, Peter himself was an elder. He was a pastor. He knew what it was like to bear up under the call of God. He knew what it was like to bear up under the weight of the manifold needs of people and sometimes the demands and expectations of people. He knew what it was like to live with the warts and the wounds and the, the weaknesses of just being a man in this world, even though God had called him. He knew what it was like 
to live the life of an elder, a way of life that Jesus has called us to that is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to help us understand is in the daily ebb and flow of life, Peter understood the contours of this way of life. He was a skilled, wise pastor. His skill and his wisdom were born out of the fire of walking with God day by day by day by day. And it's in this way that he speaks to elders in the hearing of the whole church. And I want to take just a second and emphasize why I think that's important. That he didn't, like, have a conference where he just spoke to elders. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but I am saying in this case that's not what Peter did. He spoke to elders in the hearing of the whole church. It made me think this morning as I was praying for the message, it made me remember when Kim and I were raising our daughter. My wife has multiple sclerosis, so we were only able to have one kid, and the adoption was really not a, a viable option for us. So we raised one daughter, and as we were raising her, multiple times, over and over again, I would take the scripture, and I would show her the call of God upon fathers and upon mothers, and I would say, Rachel, this is what God is calling your mommy and daddy to be. This is what God is calling your mommy and daddy to do. And you, Rachel, you are free to call me to account on the basis of what you see right here. When she was five, I said that in a way she could understand, but I wanted her to understand something clearly. And I had authority in her life as her father, but my authority came from the Lord, and I was gladly subject to the Lord and even to my family for the use of that authority. And oh, how God helped me when at times a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a 15-year-old daughter said, Daddy, not that way. Don't talk that way. Remember, you did this, but the Lord said, don't make your child angry, Daddy. You're making me angry. (laughs) In time, she was absolutely right, absolutely right. And I would tell her, Rachel, you're right, and I'm sorry. I repent before God and before you. I'm sorry. And I would tell her, I got good news for you. God is not like me. He's not flawed like me. He's a better father than me. You see, commands given to fathers and mothers in the hearing of the children is healthy for the family. And I think commands given to elders... In the hearing of the whole church, men, women, and children, is really healthy. Because then the elders are called to account by the word of God, to God, to fellow elders, but also to the whole church. And the church is more than welcome to call us to account and say, look, here's what scripture says, but here's what I'm seeing. And we saw last week that when a person brings a complaint like that or an accusation like that, and they're right, it is incumbent upon the elders to submit themselves to the wisdom of God that is pouring through the church. Beloved, it's a healthy, healthy thing that Peter issued this directive to elders in the hearing of everybody. Second, Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ, and therefore he possessed the credibility shared by only a handful of others. He was not someone who only heard about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus by the hearing of the ear, and there's something very real about that. There's something very good about that. But when Jesus walked on the sea, Peter saw it. When Jesus cast out demons, Jesus saw it. When Jesus surely sang hymns and prayed prayers, Peter heard the tone of his voice. He knows what Jesus' voice sounded like. He knows what his body smelt like. He knew the authority of the teaching of Jesus firsthand. He was an eyewitness. And then he lived through the fires of being an elder of a local church. And all I'm trying to say is he speaks with incredible credibility to us. 
as one who received his calling from the Lord and walked his calling out with the Lord. Third thing, along with everyone who is in Christ, God the Father caused Peter to quote earlier from his letter, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What I'm trying to say is Peter's hope was our hope, and this is one of the bases that he gave for his exhortation. I'm one of you. We have the same hope as Peter. Christ was his hope. Christ is our hope. In a sense, he's an apostle. And he has authority over the entirety of the church, an authority that God has given him. But in a sense, he is our brother in Christ. And we are his brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a a unity with Peter, which is why it just touches me so deeply when he talks about himself as a fellow elder with other elders. I pointed this out when we were walking through John's letters a couple times, but one thing that really touches me about the apostles is the humility that they display publicly. This is one of these public displays of humility. They were not drunk with power. They were not eager to go around flashing their card that says, hey, the apostle Peter, please call me apostle. They were not concerned with exalting themselves. They just wanted to play the role that God had them to play. And he said, I'm a pastor, just like you, I'm a pastor. And he would say to all of us, I'm a brother in Christ, just like all of you, I have received the grace of God in Christ. With that, Peter issued a singular directive to the elders, and then he gave us three bits of wisdom for how to carry out the directive. Here's the directive, verse two. Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's a verb, that's a command. Do this, do this. Shepherd, guide, guard, govern the flock of God that is among you. Feed the Lord's sheep, lead the Lord's sheep. And I take this to mean that while elders have to get involved in a variety of things just because of the nature of the ministry, the primary thing that we must do is feed and lead the sheep. As I said last week, we must pray, we must teach, we must govern, we must do this. And if there's time left over, we can do other things, but we must focus on these things because if we lose our focus on those things, much is lost, beloved. I hope you can hear that Peter is transferring the call Jesus put on his life now to other elders. Jesus told him, Peter, you feed my sheep, you lead my sheep, and now Jesus is empowering Peter to say to other elders, including those of us in this room today, you do the same thing. By the call of God, by the love of God, by the power of God. Now you go out there and you shepherd the sheep that is among you, that are among you. Our primary calling is to imitate our God and to lay down our lives for the church even as Jesus laid down his life for us. And as we do this, much fruit comes about. So with that, Peter gave three pieces of wisdom that I think are eminently wise. First of all, you'll notice Peter says, that the elders must shepherd the flock of God willingly and not under compulsion. You cannot force a person to be an elder. You should not pressure a person to be an elder. Peter wants elders to know and rejoice in the gospel of Jesus. He wants us to understand who the church is, how it's made to be, what the destiny of the church is, so that we will gladly give ourselves to the life of the church. Perhaps some of us in some parts of the world will even have to die for the good of the flock. 
I'll bet you even this very day, some pastor has given his life for the sake of the flock in some part of the world where it's very dangerous to be Christians. For most of us, though, we won't be called to that extreme, but it is still a cross to be born that we have to die to other things. We have to die to the love of this earth. We have to die to so many things so that we can serve the people of God. But oh, what a privilege that is. And what Peter is saying is look for men that have that passion inside their hearts. You can't pressure them into this. You can't coerce them into this. You can't force them into this. Calling is often seen through desire. Remember Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, if anyone aspires to the office of elder, if they have a passion, if they have a desire, that desire in itself doesn't qualify you, but that desire is so important because it shows that God is giving you his love and power to do something that's beyond your physical uh, human ability to, to do. So serve willingly, not under compulsion. Second thing, Peter says, that elders must shepherd eagerly and not for shameful gain. Like Paul, Peter wants elders to be consumed with passion for God and for his people and not with a passion for money. The way Paul said it is, elders cannot be lovers of money. We saw last week it's just fine for an elder to be paid. In fact, Paul said those who serve well ought to be paid well. I do not apologize one, for one minute for the money that I take from this church because I earn every single penny that I get from this church. I lay down my life and all you're doing and giving me money is helping me to focus on what God has called me to do. But I'm not here for that paycheck. I'm not. I'm here because God put his hand on me in 2005 and then again in 2006 and said, go to Elk River. I am appointing you to go there and be part of a people who are going to establish a church. And I will not leave this town, I will not leave this church until God lifts his calling and sends me elsewhere or calls me home, one of the two. I'm not here for a paycheck. Frankly, I can make a lot more money painting houses and painting warehouses and things like that. I'm not here for a paycheck. And that's what you need. You need men who are willing to be paid if, the, if there's an ability for them to be paid, but they're there to serve the flock for the glory of God and the good of the whole flock. That's what you need. People who are not gripped, especially in this culture, this American culture, who are not gripped with greed. We need that. How many churches, beloved, have been destroyed by greedy pastors? It's very important that we hear his wisdom here. Third, Peter says that elders must shepherd by setting an example for the flock and not by domineering them, by dominating them, by being authoritarian people. As one of the pillars of the church, Peter well knew that God appoints shepherds over his church and he gives them an authority that is equal to their role. He does this. Just like God gives authority to fathers in a family and gives authority to men and women in whatever roles he calls them into, when God calls people to shepherd his flock, he gives them authority. What sense would it make for God to say, this person's going to be your shepherd, but the rest of you sheep just do whatever you want to do. You don't have to pay any attention to anything that your shepherd says. What sense would that make? Why would you need a shepherd if everyone was just a sort of a self-shepherd? Jesus gives shepherds authority and he calls upon the church to willingly follow that authority so long as it's being used for the glory of God and the good of, of the flock. But Peter knew something. Anytime authority is granted, anytime power is given, there is the possibility of abuse. And so Peter wanted there 
to be a heart in every single elder that was not hungry for power, that was not hungry for position, that was not hungry for authority. Every true pastor I've ever met could care less about having that title or not. They could care less about having the official position or not. They just want to fulfill God's calling and shepherd the people of God. In fact, they can't help themselves. They can't hide from it. They can't run far enough away from it. Today you'll see in your bulletins a devotional about a guy named John Chrysostom. He tried to hide in a cave to get away from the calling that God put upon his life and God wouldn't let him run because he was called. He was called. He was called. He wasn't there for power. He was there because God had called him to serve and that's what you need. You need men that have a sense that they don't just want control but they want to do God's will for his glory and for the good of the people. Our calling is to love the way Jesus loved and not to domineer the way that the world domineers. Now, going back to something we talked about last week, this is one of the reasons why I think the Lord is so wise to call us to have a multiplicity of elders in every church where we don't just have one elder in every church. As I told you last week, you will not find a single verse in the New Testament that talks about the pastor of the church of anywhere. But you will find several places in the New Testament that talk about the elders, plural, of the church of, of where, wherever that place may be. Of course, Peter, James, and John were the leading elders of the church of Jerusalem. But that was a very large church, and I promise you, there were many more elders than just those three. Of course, Timothy was the leading elder of the church in Ephesus for the years that he served there. But I promise you, there were more than just Timothy serving as elders in that place. Of course, Titus was the key elder in the city of Crete. Paul sent him there for that purpose. But I promise you that there were more elders than just Titus in that church. One of the ways I know that is because in Titus 1.5, Paul commanded Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every church in that area. A multiplicity of elders is so wise for so many reasons, but with regard to this subject, one of the reasons it's wise is because it tames the temptation upon a person to get drunk with power. It tames the temptation on a person to want to domineer people, to use them for his own blessing rather than to serve them for the glory of God. It can still happen with a whole elder board, but it's much less likely. When you have a, a multiplicity of pastors, you have a multiplicity of, of voices seeking the Lord and speaking to each other. And I think a, a collective humility is what comes about. In the past, several men have served alongside Pastor Kevin and I as elders. For the last three years, it's just been the two of us. But I testify to you before the Lord that we have not served in a domineering way over the last three years and we have no plans to do so from this time forth. We're not those type of men. We don't have that kind of a heart. We have sought the wisdom of the, uh, of the deacons of the church. We've sought the wisdom of the broader leadership core of the church. We've sought the wisdom of the members of the church. That's our heart. That's who we are. And yet, I think that we believe that the time has now come for us to blow the trumpet and to blow it loud and to say that it is time for some of the leading men of this church to rise up and serve alongside us as elders. Brothers, it's time for some of you to rise up and join our ranks. It's time for some of you to hear the call of God, to receive the call of God, and to walk through the process of what it takes to become an elder. I told you last week, Pastor Kevin and I have a list of five guys that we think probably within a year could serve as an elder, maybe or maybe, uh, maybe, or maybe not, they will serve as an elder. There's another three or four that we think in two to three years could rise up as elders. 
And we plan in January or whenever the Lord gives us the freedom to do so to begin pursuing these men. But more importantly, I think our heart is this, that God also has his list. And I can tell you that my heart is that God would come and knock on the doors of their hearts before we come and knock on the doors of their homes. That's what we want. We want to see God do a work among us and we don't want to just be the, the men who are trying to raise up other men. We're looking for people to whom God is speaking. Maybe right this second, God is speaking to some of you and saying, son, this message is for you. I am calling you up to be an elder. Listen, if God is moving in your heart like that, my counsel to you today is just be like Peter and submit to the Lord. Just listen to him. Don't be afraid. Don't put your eyes on your inadequacies. Don't put your eyes on your weaknesses. God works through our weakness. God makes strong what is weak in us. We are inadequate, God makes us adequate. We are unqualified, God makes us qualified. If God is calling you, I'm just saying, listen to him, submit to him, and trust him throughout the process. And brothers, if you're hearing the call of God in your life, I wanna say to you again, that the reason I wanted to walk you through Peter's journey toward eldership is because he was just as flawed, maybe more flawed than you are. It's not about your flaws. It is about the call of God. And I believe with all my heart that it is time for some of you to step up. So please just pray. And now I just want to close with that. I want to close with a call to prayer. Not only to those who might feel a calling to eldership, but to every single person who considers this their church. Pastor Kevin and I will be praying in the coming days. And in fact, I think we'll also be fasting. This last week, I was rehearsing some of the texts that I went over with you last week. And I noticed in Acts chapter 14 that when Paul and Barnabas went from city to city appointing elders, I noticed that the way they did that was through prayer and fasting. And I remembered that the way Paul and Barnabas were sent into the world was also as the church was praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set these men aside for me. And that's how they got sent out into the world. And then when they went into the world, they appointed elders by prayer and fasting. Let me put it to you this way. They wanted the right men to rise up in leadership of the church more than they wanted food. And so for whatever the time levels were that they fasted, all that, I don't know. The details are left unsaid for us. But they called upon the Lord with earnestness, with prayer and fasting. And Pastor Kevin and I, will talk about the details of this on Tuesday. But I promise you that's what we're going to do too. And when we decide what we're going to do as a pattern of prayer and fasting, we'll let you know. Because we want to include you in that too. We want you to pray and fast along with us. And as you pray and fast, pray and fast that God would knock on the door of men's hearts before we come knocking on the doors of their homes. Pray that. And if you're a guy who feels called toward eldership and we don't come knocking on your door, you're free to come and talk to us. If you feel the call toward eldership, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be appointed, but we want to hear from you. And... If as you pray, God puts a person on your heart and you think this brother, this brother really should be an elder, please let us know that. I would prefer you do that face to face, but if you need to send a text or an email, that's fine too. But what if five or six of you all said, we think these two or three guys ought to be elders? Wouldn't that sound like God's voice speaking in some way? So please join us, beloved. Join us in praying and fasting. Kevin and I are not interested at all in trying to build something in our own strength. We want to be witnesses as God builds his church through his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So please, hear the word of God. Call upon the name of God with us according to his word and let's believe that he's gonna bring about this fruit. Father, a couple weeks ago you taught us 
that the way to bear fruit is this, that we're to be rich in your word, and then we're to call on your name according to your word, and then you will answer, and we will bear fruit. And so now you've given us an opportunity to practice that, Lord. Over the last couple weeks, we haven't said everything that could be said, but we've said a few things about eldership. We've said enough about it. We've looked at enough scriptures that we can now call upon your name according to your word and ask you to raise up men like this in our midst. Lord, it's time. I believe it's time for more elders, deacons, and even other leaders to rise up in 2020. But I pray that this would be a work that you do. So please display to us this pattern of fruit bearing and please display to us the fact that you are here among us building this church. Lord, we're not interested in building a kingdom for ourselves, but oh, how we long Oh, how we long to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ as he builds his church in Elk River and beyond. For what you've already done, Lord, and for what you will do in the coming days, we give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.